1: Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
4: Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one in store today coming up uh, in the third half of our three-hour tour. Um, hang on just a second. Tom Sumner program. Uh, yes, Tom, this is Mary Joy. Hi, Mary. Stand by. That's our uh, first guest calling in, and we'll uh, we'll have her with us in just a moment. But back to what I was saying, the third half of our three-hour tour was uh, is um, uh, well. I, I guess I should set it up this way. We've had several guests. Um, on the show in the last few weeks that have talked about uh, declining uh, culture and societies in uh, the contemporary world and there's a new book um came out in uh, July of of uh, 2021 um by a guy who spent uh, 40 years in national security politics and international figure in fact i think he was a uh, um, uh, what we call it, National Security Advisor to the U.S. Senate uh, Armed Services Committee, but he has uh, started a series uh, that started back in 2014 called the Resurrection Saga, and a new book in that series is is just out called Twilight of Empires. His name's W.H. Wise Bill Weiscarver Carver will be joining me by phone again during the third half of our three-hour tour, in the middle, in the second hour of our uh, show. We're going to talk with a uh, gifted writer and engaging storyteller who has a new book uh, coming out uh, this month called um, Equity, How to Design Organizations Where Everyone Thrives. And I'm going to have to have her teach me how to say her name, but I think it's Manal Bopaya but we'll hear from her coming up in the second hour. But first, we're going to talk about overcoming codependency with a holistic approach and uh, reinvent yourself in positive, powerful ways with the author of a new book called Codependent Discovery and Recovery 2.0, A Holistic Approach to Healing and Freeing Yourself. Her name is Mary Joy, and she joins me now, now by phone. Hi, Mary. Welcome to the show.
6: Thank you, Tom. I I appreciate you having me on your show.
4: Um, Mary, uh, is it an awakening when people discover that they may in fact be codependent?
6: Yes, and I think we're all codependent in some area of our life with someone or have been at some time. But if someone is um, chronically codependent, uh, and it's not a formal disorder they will know it because they kind of lose themselves taking care of others. Uh, it is an awakening. It was an awakening when I heard it. I didn't even know what a codependent was when I was told I was codependent by a professor. And I was just about to enter my first internship in a drug and alcohol rehab. So it was essential for me to know that and to, how to unknow it and to undo it. And it was a long process. It's but, an everyday process, actually.
4: But I just, I, I just wonder about that. Um, you know, some people grow attachments to people and then and, and then have uh, a significant sense of loss uh, if, if that relationship is is severed in you know some way through I don't know death or divorce or, or something um, but do they think of themselves as as being codependent? Are they in fact codependent or can we have those attachments without being codependent?
6: Oh, absolutely. Those are called secure attachments. And secure attachments, when you do feel that loss, uh, and yes, I mean, that's that's called healthy interdependence when people are reciprocal and they're kind to one another. Codependence really is a loss itself. It would mean like only one person in a marriage was doing all the doing and and doing all the, you know, um, everything, Uh, all the loving even, all the communication and just trying to get the other person to engage or or be present. But, no, what you're describing is healthy interdependence. That's healthy when we are connected to one another. We are hardwired to be in relationship with people. So just being in a relationship does not mean you are codependent. It can mean you're interdependent, and that's healthy to do that.
4: When we talk about codependency, who is the more codependent person, uh, the person receiving the attention or giving the attention?
6: Giving. I mean, absolutely the one who's giving. Uh, I call codependency, this will help make really make sense. I just call it, I call it narcissism in reverse because everyone in today's culture, you know you were talking earlier about how we throw things around in our culture and how our culture is changing. In fact, narcissism had become so prevalent in our culture, they almost took it out of the diagnostic manual as personality disorder. And people can be narcissistic without having narcissistic personality disorder. But that said, codependency is not in the diagnostic manual. They tend to be in relationships with narcissistic people or people who are abusing substances. And so it's narcissism in reverse is how I put it. That Narcissists are hyper-focused on themselves, and codependents are hyper-focused on meeting the needs of others. That should be helpful. They don't, and they neglect their own. They will cover up for their alcoholic spouse. They will, they will bail their kids out of jail 20 times and cover up for them. They will exhaust their finances trying to help people. They will give to everyone who asks of them, and then they give until they give out or burn out, which also is a medical diagnosis. Burnout is an actual diagnosis. So that's the codependent, the one who gives till they give out.
4: Now, the name of the book, um, your new book, is Codependent Discovery and Recovery 2.0, A Holistic Approach to Healing and Freeing Yourself. Um, You know, in some cases, that that codependency exists for um, a a very responsible purpose, the caring of... uh, uh, an elderly loved one or, oh, yeah, or that's something compassion, something. Like that.
6: Yes, that's that's caregiving. That's not codependency. That's caregiving. What
4: is it possible to be in in a caregiving situation and and be codependent and how do you free yourself if there's a certain amount of uh, compassionate responsibility connected to it?
6: Well, it absolutely is. Uh, I I did it with my mother <laughs> not so much with my <laughs> father because I did have help but yes my mother was very very tough on me you know motherhood is a sainthood and in order to live with myself I mean I tell people when people say oh you're a saint taking care of your mom I said oh no no I'm not doing it for her I'm doing it because because it's what I'm supposed to do it's the only way I can live with myself I can't leave her alone I don't want I don't want her to be a statistic and leave her alone in a assisted living facility. That is not who I am. So that is how I got to Florida. So there was a codependent relationship as a child. I broke that off, but I did come back and take care of her. And I was slipping back into those codependent behaviors, like trying to please her, trying to make her happy. And it wasn't really possible. So I did get compassion fatigue, which is a symptom of codependency. And I started on on another journey in that area. I decided, how can I detach from The anger and from the frustration of caregiving and be compassionate. And I actually sought help for it. And I learned that honoring a parent is not the same as liking it or loving it, but it's a sense of duty. And I learned to ask for help. I had to get help helping my mom. I just couldn't do it by myself. I just couldn't because she was so ill for so long and in a wheelchair. And so I had to. I really had to learn to ask for help, and codependents hate to ask for help because they think they can handle everything, and I could not.
4: (laughs) Is is that a little tinge of narcissism
6: there? (laughs) That's why I call it narcissism in reverse, because a narcissist will ask for help every day. Like, go get me some coffee, you know, (laughs) order me a pizza. (laughs) Like, they don't have trouble asking for help. The codependents would rather die than ask for help because I can handle it. I'm fine. They're the ones who say that they're fine when they're not, and that they're okay when they're not. Uh, No, they're not fine. No, I wasn't fine. In fact, emergency room nurse, this is when I realized I had slipped back into codependency, and this was many years after my professor had told me that. I went to the emergency room at midnight to take care of my mom who was in there, and the nurse knew me by name, but she did. That's scary when an ER nurse knows you by name. And she said, if you don't... A little bit. <laughs> I know. I know. I was like, I should pay attention to this. I said, how do you know my name? Because I drove for two hours. It was midnight. Oh, my goodness. It was a mess.
4: Well, and, uh, ho- hopefully you, it, you pulled back a little bit before they before they gave you your own parking
6: spot. Well, you know, she <laughs> gave me a pamphlet. She, she must have been a codependent recover person herself. She handed me a pamphlet, and she said, I'm handing you a pamphlet on... But getting home health care and assisted living facilities, because if you don't get help, you're going to end up in our emergency room. And I said, wow, okay. And then I did start the process of asking for help. It was very difficult. And then having to tell my mother that, you know, that that I couldn't live in a constant state of 911, and neither could she, that she could no longer. Uh, And she did. She had a diabetic, she went into a diabetic coma, and, and that is when I was forced to outside help. I mean, she went off in an ambulance and, you know, then the doctors took over. And I'll tell you, sometimes that's what happens is you get compassion fatigue and caregiver syndrome and it makes you irritable. And, and it, it it does. So I had to relearn what I had learned in school that I can do my best to detach emotionally. Because there's a lot of people out there that just have compassion fatigue in their caregivers. They're not codependent. And, you know, when you go to the store, you're not just going to the store. You're going to the store and worrying how they are back wherever the, your person you're taking care of is. That's not codependency. Code codependency is when you just try to please somebody who's not pleasable. Try to help somebody who doesn't want help. You just bend over backwards and you you just can't do it anymore. Is, is there any... It,
4: it, it, has there been any research done on this? I, it, I don't want to put you on the spot, Mary, but do you have any sense for... How many people um, in in the U.S. could be considered codependents?
6: I don't have the exact percentage because it's not a formal disorder. There's not a lot of research on it, though I did the research in my book, a lot of it, because I'm very much a neuroscience person and studied under a neuroscientist. So research tells us, and I prefer the term that Barbara Oakley used. She, it, To me, uh, getting in contact with her was was the best thing, and reading her work on pathological altruism. That's actually what they should call it, is pathological altruism, is meaning that you believe the best of everyone to the point of not caring for yourself. She likened it. I don't to know what, really Mary,
4: I don't know which of those two sounds better, but uh, but but let's explore that some more. I have to take a break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can Absolutely. All right. Sure. My guest is Mary Joy, the author of Codependent Discovery and Recovery 2.0, a holistic approach to healing and freeing yourself. And we're going to talk about codependency or um, what did you call it, pathological... Altruism. Uh, altruism. <laughs> that, that, that sounds... Uh, An oxymoron. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure which one of those sounds worse, but we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. And uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then we'll be back with more of our conversation. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's more straight ahead.
5: Hello there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-R-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember,
6: All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters.
7: Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part.
8: where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildy, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
4: Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my guest this hour, the author of uh, Codependent Discovery and Recovery 2.0, A Holistic Approach to Healing and Freeing Yourself, by licensed therapist Mary Joy, who joins me by phone. Mary, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that.
6: No, thank you, Tom. I (laughs) I love to hear all that. I love Michigan. It's beautiful. So that was beautiful and to hear about all your guests.
4: Now, where, where are you now?
6: I am in Florida, okay. so that's why I really appreciated the vaccination P- PR piece. I appreciated that <laughs> because we, we're, we're very we're very low vaccinated and high cases down here. So
4: well, we've we've been talking an awful lot about Florida on, on the show because of uh, some of the politics down there. But um, you you used to be in Nashville. You were a singer songwriter.
6: Yes, I lived there for thirty years, and uh, I I loved it. I absolutely adored it and I had to reinvent and come home and take care of my mother so it was, it was quite the uh, quite quite the uh transition back here but I lived most of my adult life in Nashville and wrote songs there at Warner Brothers and other companies.
4: Oh that's great. I, I have a friend who's been down there for 30 plus years from from the Flint area that uh, is a songwriter and and uh, performer, fabulous musician and um and and producer. Um uh, He's he's done some some pretty fun stuff. Um,
6: I may know him. It's
4: possible. Well, I, I refer to him often. Often I I call him Steve McComb from the Nashville office. But uh, I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if you know Steve or not. <laughs> no. But, um, but getting back to this idea of codependency, and, uh, and, and, and I, love, uh, I, I love that pathological altruism, um, you couldn't really put that on the book cover and expect people to know what you were talking about, though.
6: No. She did a good job. It was a very very scientific, very empirically-based study, and some other um, psychologists had picked up on her work, and that's why I contacted her to ask if I could use certain things in that, because she went through very many of the things that that we've discussed about compassion fatigue and caring for others who don't care for you back or they don't reciprocate. However, she even went farther to say people who are completely codependent and lose themselves in others, leave themselves open to cults, to being unduly influenced. And I have an entire section in my book about undue influence and how A codependent will doubt themselves so much and try to people-please and approval-seek and be perfectionistic so much they can get trapped in maybe not a cult, but they can certainly be trapped in in being inauthentic in their life. They say yes when they mean no and no when they mean yes. So that's what's pathological about it. In a more dramatic way, I put it, and I tell my clients this when they come to my office for therapy, I say pathological altruism means you believe the best and the worst of people and there was a time in my life when I would have picked up Ted Bundy hitchhiking because he he was hitchhiking on college campuses with books in his arm and a cast on his leg. Do you see how he evoked our sympathy and we go, "Aw, that poor guy. He needs a ride to school." And that's how well he and really he was
4: and he was considered to be uh, fairly charming.
6: Yes. As most narcissists and sociopaths are. What do people say on the news when their neighbor has a serial killer? They say, Oh, he was such a fill in the blank. A nice guy,
4: right? Yes, yeah, Lon was always mowed and you know yes. he was quiet, never really caused so any problems. Nice. Just just he was a good neighbor.
6: <laughs> yes. That's yes. So now you understand. So yes, that's that's that dynamic.
4: Is it possible for someone to be codependent without any really discernible um, harmful side effects?
6: Not really, because exhaustion is what they'll do, and they stay in toxic relationships, and do, they they don't live their life to their fullest. It, it,
4: when they start feeling that fatigue, are they often misdiagnosed and... and Mistreated, uh, and I'm thinking in terms of like prescription medication and so on.
6: They they are, and a lot of codependents. And this is—I hope this will definitely scare people straight on not doing things for yourself. You must self-care. You cannot give away what you don't have. A lot of codependents end up not necessarily in psychiatric offices, getting depressed antidepressants, but because they're running on adrenaline and exhaustion and cortisol. They're trying, they feel a need to be needed so, and they're and to rescue. So when they go in that rescue mode of, oh, my gosh, you know, Johnny's in jail again. I'm going to run down there. It's a constant dumping of adrenaline and cortisol, and those are stress hormones. And then when they feel good about themselves, they get the dopamine and, and uh, serotonin. However, that constant flooding and dumping of toxic chemicals in their body can cause them to have immune problems later in life. Many codependents can become suicidal. I'll never forget when I wrote a course for Daily Om on the subject, someone had written to me and said, you said that that uh, codependency could be your own demise, and in, in Europe, demise means death, and I, said, I wrote her back, and I said, well, thank you for your unsolicited advice, which was also on the list of codependent traits, and I said, however, codependents do die earlier, sometimes by their own hand, and sometimes by just not taking care of themselves and missing that they have cancer, missing that they have illnesses. I know I was definitely guilty of that. That happened to me. I had adrenal fatigue, almost adrenal failure. And the doctor told me that I was not going to be the person who died of a heart attack. I would be the person whose heart just stopped because I no longer could make cortisol. My body could no longer express itself with stress hormones. It just stopped being able to make it. And we need cortisol. A little bit goes a long way. So yes, so be careful out there. And it is fixable. There are ways to fix that. Then I had to learn to self-care, because if you don't self-care, you can't care for others very well. If you're not well, you can't help others be well. Uh,
4: Again, the book is called Codependent Discovery and Recovery 2.0, A Holistic Approach to Healing and Freeing Yourself. What do you mean when you say a holistic approach?
6: Well, I don't want to scare anyone, but it has meditations in it, and they're they're on YouTube. They you don't even have to do them. There's not one of them that's longer than ten minutes. So uh, the holistic approach means I'm doing a neuroscience, which is a body, mind, spirit connection. And if people don't believe in a spiritual life, that's fine. This book is geared to anybody who any from any background. I don't. I just tell them that when you access and educate yourself about the neuroscience of why you're doing what you're doing, it will help you undo it or it will be your undoing. And then by meditations and affirmations, and I put music to them because, you know, I'm a musician and did voiceovers in Nashville. So they're on YouTube. You don't even have to do them. You can just sit there and shut your eyes. I make it very easy. And the last holistic approach is you do it yourself. This is truly self-help. At the end of each chapter is two-column lists. And on the left, you write what you don't want in your life. And on the right, you write what you do. So at the end of the book, you're only left with what's right. And that helps the person customize and tailor their experience when they read this, because each chapter builds on another. So they're, they're getting their own life in order, which... Codependents seldom do; they're always getting everyone else's life in order. So this is helping them with quick bullet points. I make it easy because codependents are not going to spend much time on themselves. So I made it really easy, and and it's uh it, and it's you know it's humorous, it's enlightening, and they just go, oh my goodness, that's what. I, if you know what you don't want, you can deduce what you do want. It uses hardcore empirically based deductive reasoning.
4: How do people generally? Find out or realize that they're codependent or a pathological altruist. Um, do they? Can people come to that on their own, or does there really need to be an intervention by friends, family, healthcare professionals?
6: They can come to it on their own, but they have to know that. Uh, and and again, I wish they would change the term. I, I really do like. There are people who they call it like self love deficit and but you know codependents don't like the word self love they can come to it on their own usually just like addiction uh, through a rock bottom experience I certainly had them I could enumerate them and they are horrific and some of them are in the book of how I was like the worst offender of this. Can, so, can you give I an example
4: of how of what? Some what might constitute hitting rock bottom for someone that would that would lead them to decide, oh oh, <laughs> I I have a problem.
6: Yes, I mean I grew up in now my father was a psychiatrist and I was an extension of the family image and there was violence in our home. So lo and behold, I married a violent man, you <laughs> know, and and for twenty years I lived in this secret sort of Hades of uh, covering up and nobody knew it and. Then uh, he went to the bank and whited my name off the deed and borrowed money against a farm that I wanted to live and die on. And then filed bankruptcy in the IRS and didn't tell me. And that was my rock bottom. I lost my home. And I knew this man. If we had five dollars, he'd spend ten. If we had twenty dollars, he'd spend forty. And if we had a million dollars, he'd have spent five million because he just was financially abusive. He was mentally, emotionally, physically abusive. And I stayed with him because it was normalized to me growing up. So finally, after 20 years, when when I lost my home, I say I lost my mind, but I really found myself. That is when I hit the rock bottom, started on the process. That's when I my professor told me I was codependent. And then fast forward uh, about... 15 years ago, I went to a medical addiction specialist knowing that codependency was like addiction. And I asked him, what's going on in my brain? that's making me say yes when I mean no and no when I mean yes. And I did not even start helping people heal with this until I really got a good grip on it myself. And like addiction, it's a daily process. You know, is that, you, know you have to ask yourself, is that a codependent or am I being compassionate? You have to stop and ask yourself that. This book's not about changing per- people's nurturing loving personality but to get you to give in places where you don't burn out or get exhausted so that would be an example of someone who's hit rock bottom being abused losing your house i really did literally lost the farm (laughs) it was awful and i owed the irs i had to pay his tax debt because he filed bankruptcy and it was the price of my farm and and i i was homeless and he hadn't—he that one the first time he did something like that. So you didn't notice it. And my parents didn't let me come home because, oh my gosh, you're a psychiatrist daughter—you can't, you can't have that happen in your life. And that was in show business. He was, you know, fairly famous. I can't say who he is, but he was fairly famous and for his time. And uh, so it was, you know, a record producer, and it's very difficult. So yes, I would just use myself as an example, and people in my office come in the same way. They've lost homes. They're going through divorces. They've been cheated on. They've had people take everything but ten dollars out of the bank account. I kid you not. I mean everything. They they get robbed and and they they have had so many red flags and sirens and barricades and bells and whistles, but they don't pay attention to them because they're they're fo- focused on pleasing the other person, thinking if they're good enough, that person's gonna. Change. They'll, they'll recognize that I'm good enough, and finally they'll change, but they, no, they won't change. They just, the behavior escalates, and the codependent behavior escalates, too. So I have to help them detach from people who harm them, to divest from other people, and to invest in themselves and to recognize their triggers.
4: When When someone hits their rock bottom, what's... What's the first step after they realize that they have a problem? Is it admitting that they have a problem and that they need help?
6: Yes. Yes, it is. Absolutely. It it is. It's admitting that you have a problem and that you can't handle it by yourself. Can you get better by yourself? Yes, you can get better, but can you be your best by yourself? I'm not so sure about that. That's not to sell people on the therapeutic process, because there's many therapeutic processes. Uh, but, yes, I, I think you do need to ask for help. I mean, I can tell you a human story about asking for help if we had the time. Sure. If <laughs> I was working in drug and alcohol rehab, they had a, they have something they call a maze. They blindfold you, and you can, you can get off of it when you want. Uh, but there's only one way off of it. And there is no end to it. You're on blindfolded. It's a rope tied around a bunch of trees. I was in Nashville. Gorgeous drug and alcohol facility. And the supervisor kept saying, if you need help, ask for it. If you need help, ask for it. So off goes the heroin addict. And I'm being really judgy about that. How'd the heroin addict get off before me? And then, then, you know, people (laughs) that have been had like 10 DUIs. How does someone with 10 DUIs get off before me? And there were two nurses with me, too. So it's the the counselor intern, two nursing interns, and all the rest are patients, about 10 of them. This goes on for like an hour, an hour and a half. It's not a short exercise. So finally, I raised my hand, because you had to whisper, and I said, if I ask for help, is that how I get off of here? And he said, are you asking for help? And I said, no, I didn't say that. I said, if I ask for help, is that how you get off of here? And he said, are you asking for help? And I said, oh, Oh, my gosh, yes, okay, I'm asking for help. And he let me off. And after it was over, he said, these three are the codependents who take care of all of you addicts. These three are going to burn out and leave you, and you're going to just be a mess. He said, these are the people who take care of you. They will kill themselves in order to keep you happy. And it was an eye-opener for me. Just asking for help, I couldn't even, I had to ask if I had to ask for help. That was pretty twisted.
4: That's uh, and that's funny, you were intellectually processing that that might be the way out, but rather than try it, you wanted to see if you could find out if it was oh first.
6: yes that's funny. oh yes, I'm a psychiatrist's daughter. God forbid psychiatrist' <laughs> children should need help. It's a lot like being a preacher's kid. you're supposed to be perfect and healthy, and someday when I get older, I might have to write it under a pseudonym. I am going to write about going to psychiatric conventions with my father because. In this physician, know thyself and heal thyself, and I really did before I became a counselor, I subjected myself to a battery of psychological testing by a psychiatrist to be sure I wasn't a wounded healer, and if I was wounded in areas where those areas were, and the codependency was always the one that would come to the surface so i that I have that's, I, I know where the screws are loose and what it takes to tighten them, and it is like addiction it's a it's a daily process you have to really. Uh, be conscious of your subconscious, and that's what the meditations are in there for. They're not really like touchy-feely meditations. They're more like guided imagery of envisioning yourself healthy and happy and calm and focused so you can be aware. And I teach people about their vagus nerve and that physiological fight-flight-frozen when they go into rescue mode to kind of back off of that a bit and take some time and take breather and recognize your tension and then change your intention from being codependent to genuinely being kind and helpful and not expecting things in return. Because many, many closet codependents will say, look at all I've done for you and this is the thanks I get. That's, if you give to get, that's also an unhealthy dynamic. So it's, there's, there's gray areas to this. And I hope that helps explain it. Tom. Oh, of course.
3: Uh,
4: the, um, what kind of research went into doing this book and, and what kind of research if any has been done on this
6: oh so much there, there's, there hasn't been enough but I did a lot of research and I found works by there's Villa Darga and Hayes it's in the back of my book all the citations are in the back of my book and uh, Barbara Oakley I also um, contacted he's a psychiatrist child as well was um uh, his name is Stephen Cartman, and he developed the drama triangle, which completely fits the mold of a codependent. And that triangle is more of a cycle. You rescue someone, you become their victim, you get angry about it, and you keep doing it over and over and over. You're usually reenacting something from your childhood, like you have an alcoholic parent, you cover up for them, then they scream at you and yell at you and treat you horribly, and then you just do it over and over and over thinking you can gain mastery. And you reenact these attachment issues in your adult life. So there's a lot of research. I did a lot of research on attachment issues because codependents tend to have insecure attachment. There's four major kinds of attachments. And um, Barbara Oakley's work, Stephen Cartman's, and also Alan Rappaport did some work on co-narcissism, and I contacted him as well. Because a lot of children, when they're codependent, they'll act like the narcissistic parent for a while to make that parent happy, then they might become the scapegoat child and he covers all those ways that you can help a narcissistic parent become what they are by being an extension of their image and uh, hopefully that research that I brought together is a totally different foundation of things that cover neuroscience, psychology, biology and better yet, what to do about it and what the treatments are
4: are there um are there any you talked about the the holistic approach and and you mentioned some meditation practices and in uh different exercises but are there any holistic methods that that are good for someone who's feeling particularly bad that that provide immediate relief
6: oh yes there really is this is going to be so easy. I told you I like to make it easy, Tom. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I like to make it easy. If you adjust, get out. Even if it's just five minutes, get out in nature or in a place that nurtures you. If it's a museum, you know, some people like to be indoors. But nature seems to both be the most nurturing. Codependents are so afraid of being alone. And I tell them you're not alone. You're with yourself. And just be with yourself out in nature, take some breathers, and pay attention not to what you're thinking, but to your body. Start just honing in on your body, where you feel anxiety in your body, where you feel, because that's your vagus nerve, where you, where you feel pain, where you, what your thoughts are taking you to. And when you think the negative thoughts or you think the rescuing thoughts, how would you feel if you thought, well, what if I did this for myself and what if I acted in a way that was authentic. What if I said no to that person? What's going to happen to me? Because if somebody makes you feel badly about yourself and you stay in contact with them, that's not going to help either person. So when you're alone with yourself and your own feelings, so that is the quick release. Just get off by yourself, turn off the phone, walk out the door, take long walks. After most days of my practice, because I hear a lot of horror stories, you, you can imagine, and I work with veterans and people with a lot of trauma, and uh, far far worse than codependent, of crisis. But that's what I do to to self care is I take a four to five mile walk, and it's so cleansing. And I put music on that I like. You know, I I love certain kinds of music, and I play it, and my brain is reset because music will reset your brain, and nature will reset your brain. And I I don't walk with other people. I'm I'm by by myself with myself just enjoying the music and looking at the trees and the birds it's you know wherever beauty is for you my,
4: That's guess,
6: immediate.
4: my guest is Mary Joy the author of codependent discovery and recovery 2.0 a holistic approach to healing and freeing yourself um, Mary thanks for spending this time with me this morning I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they might find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, the book is a great place to uh, to start. But do you have a
6: website? Yes, I do. It's uh, com, And it's, they can find me. I'm very easy to find. My name is spelled M-A-R-Y. And my last name, and it is my last name, is J-O-Y-E. It's got Joy with an E on the end. And there's a YouTube channel where you can access all those meditations, uh, that go with the book, and I'm easy to find. And this book will be wherever books are sold, on Amazon, Books A Million. And I really um, hope that it helps a lot of people, and a lot of therapists help people who, don't, uh, who who really don't know they're codependent and what to do about it. This isn't just a you're codependent and here's what's going on, here's a what to do about it. So thank you for allowing me to share that.
4: Well, Mary, thank you, and uh, keep up the good work.
6: Thank you, Tom. I really enjoyed talking to you. You asked great questions. You asked the so real. I love. I love those challenging questions. I love it.
4: Well, you know, we have time to get into it a little bit, which I appreciate. Anyway, we do have to take yes, a short break. But too. my uh, my guest this hour has been Mary Joy, and uh, and it's been a joy to talk to Mary. So take care, Mary. Thank you,
6: Tom. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
4: Bye.
2: and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
1: We have had a problem lately in Chicago with uh, people jumping off ledges. We've always had a problem with people jumping off ledges in Chicago. And uh, so many so that the police department has come out with a regulation uh, on how to handle a guy on a ledge, you know, the patrolman on the beat. The first point is never go out on the ledge in your uniform. You see, because the the image of authority may be just the reason they're out there to begin with. Secondly, you should be very casual and never issue any direct commands to them. You see, never antagonize them. And thirdly, and this is really, I suppose, a main point, uh, be completely unsympathetic because basically they want to be talked out of it. So I would like to present a Chicago policeman under this new regulation. He sees a guy on a ledge. He slips into a sport jacket and. <laughs> I think he would probably light a cigarette, and then he would walk out on the ledge, something like this. Oh, hi! <laughs> you, uh, you thinking about jumping, are you? Your first time, is it? <laughs> me no no I'm I'm on my way to work as a matter of fact I usually walk around the ledges I find it kind of helps me unwind I don't know you uh, you don't happen to be in advertising uh, by any chance do you yeah I was more than a lucky guess we got we got a lot of advertising people out here (laughs) Oh, which, which way did you come out, by the way? Did you come out through the window or did you come around the corner of the building? No, the, the reason I asked, uh, there are two other advertising guys on the southeast corner. I thought maybe... Come out. No, as, as a matter of fact, I, I didn't get their names. Um, I think one guy had the Edsel account or something like that. You know, you're, you're drawing a hell of a crowd for a weekday. Yeah, really. The last couple of years, uh, jumping has uh, has really uh, fallen off.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't. I didn't mean it that way. I... No, really, seriously. Uh, you you take 1929 for example. Uh, you literally couldn't get out on this ledge in 1929. <laughs> no, we we had people uh, lined up in the corridors just waiting to get out on the ledge. Finally, uh, we finally went to that numbered card system they use in the butcher shop, too, you'll probably see.
5: <laughs>
1: well, you see the, see the cart down there? Yeah, the, the hot dog stand? That's Sam, the hot dog man. Hi, Sam, how are you? How's, how's the wa- I just tell him, hell of a crowd for a Thursday, isn't it? <laughs> Listen, have, have you eaten, by the way? Well, don't be sorry. Uh, Two, Sam. Do you you want you want everything on it? Uh, two two with everything, Sam. No no, to go, Sam, to go. Oh, oh oh uh oh, something turned you in. Yeah, you see see the the guys with the net down there? Yeah, they're they're firemen. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'll give you a little tip there. You you might kind of edge your way toward the corner of the building. You see. Then they'll start to follow you. Then you run back here and jump.
5: <laughs> well, they, they get
1: all confused and they start pulling different directions. They'll, they'll never make it back in time, believe me. <laughs> you know, don't be silly. I'm glad to do it for you. Now <laughs> well, listen, gee, I really ought to be getting to work, you know. I'd love to stay around and catch it. But... No, don't be silly. Take, take your own sweet time about it. Yeah, that is a long way down, isn't it? You um, you kind of chickening out now, huh? That happens quite a bit. You 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 have a certain responsibility to those people down there, though. I, 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 I well, some of them have been there a half an hour or so, you know. No, no, it's it's up to you. I mean,
5: uh,
1: if you don't want to, you you know, you don't have to. Well, all right, sure. Uh, well, listen, I'll, I'll get in and then, and then you follow me, all right? Okay. Oh, uh, uh one... Now where the hell did he go?
5: <laughs> this was another Comedy
0: Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
9: remember we I remember when I lost my mind There was something so pleasant about that place Even your emotions had an echo So much space There, without a care Yeah, I was out of touch One because I didn't know enough Well, I just knew too much That thing be like them. ever since I was little ever since I was little well it looked like fun there's no coincidence I echo and I can die when I'm
5: done
9: but maybe I'm crazy
10: Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus And if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us In a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better <coughs> Now back in 1918, influenza had its run, but half the dots were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say If you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. It's super damn important that we practice isolation, cause we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine. The last until July. A super bad, transmittable. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus.
9: You pilots, get off my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here.